Good to be with you all today. I got the blessing of uh, getting to sit in the congregation last week as Pastor Rob uh, preached from the end of James chapter 1. And so this week, uh, get to be back in the pulpit and we are starting James chapter 2. So you can open your Bible there to James chapter 2. And today we're going to be talking about some things that have to do with how we relate to one another as fellow believers in Jesus Christ. You could say that this morning, we're going to have a little bit of like a family meeting, you know? Do you ever have those in your family where you kind of come together? It's, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about some family stuff. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. Settle in with the people that you've sat next to here this morning. But before we do this, I want you to do this. I want you to turn to somebody that you uh, perhaps never met before. Find out their name. I know we've already had a greeting time, but we're going to do it twice today. So turn to somebody and, and ask them their name, introduce yourself. You can do that right now. Go for it. You guys all know each other? Okay. You can move around. Meet two people. Awesome. Cool. All right, so try to remember their name now, okay? And after service, say bye to them. See, one of the vision statements of our church is to be known by one another. It's one of the four vision statements that we have, and that usually starts with knowing someone's name. That's why we have you wear the little black dot with your name on it when you come in. Uh, it's... It's, it's for a purpose, because we seek to emphasize community in this church, because we want to make sure that this doesn't become a place where you just pop in and pop out, and no one ever gets the chance to know you. And, and so we want to know and be known by one another. I, I want to know you. I, um, and, you know, those name tags are also helpful for me, because I, I love when I can know a person's name. I, I can recognize a lot of faces, um, and, you know, there's nothing worse then when you recognize someone, someone's face and you know that you should know their name and you're like, ugh, it's like you got a mind of a goldfish. It just doesn't stick in there. And, and yet we seek to be known by one another. And so our desire for the people of this church is to do that. It, and here's the thing. It's going to require time and effort on everyone's part. If we really want to see this happen, it's going to require that we all, we all get in on it. And so I believe that some of the most important ministry time that happens in this church is the 15 minutes before service and the 15 minutes after service. Why is that? Well, it's because that's the time when you can exercise the gifts that God has given you for the building up of the church. It's the time when conversations happen and prayers happen and encouragements and we get to hug each other, we get to check in on each other of how your week has been going and, and all of these things happen as we assemble here on Sunday mornings. Now when we gather, we should come into church not primarily thinking, what am I going to get out of church today? But rather, we should come into church primarily thinking, what am I going to give to my church today? How, how might God use me to 
minister to somebody that might be in need of some love or some encouragement or some prayer? How, how might God use me? And what if we all came with that same mindset? Oh my goodness, this place would be just going off, right? And, and so here's the thing. I, I believe that we have a pretty loving and welcoming community here at Calvary Chapel Palisades. Do, do you agree? Okay, only some of you agree. So, which means that, yes, we, we have this, but I think we can do it better. I really do. How can God use us? Like, for instance, the Thessalonian church, Paul said to them, I don't even need to teach you guys about these things because you're already loving one another so well. And yet he says, yet I urge you, do it more and more. See, we need to keep knowing one another. We need to keep growing in love for one another. We need to excel in the way that God is building us as a church family because as this church continues to grow in the way that it has, it is vital for us to be doing this that we would continue to know and be known by one another. So if you arrive late to church today or if you need to leave right as church ends, um, I get it. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone, you know, but, but I think that this requires full participation. And for some of us, this might terrify you. Pastor, you're talking about me needing to talk to people, you know, me needing to meet a complete stranger and ask them how they're doing. Yep, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we're supposed to do. And, and some might excel in it more than others, and yet all of us are called. We're all being exhorted as the church, being challenged that we would examine where we're at, that God would call us up to grow into the grace of God as we know one another. So, the Holy Spirit has some things to convince us of this morning and to convict us of this morning here in the book of James. So get your ears ready to hear what the Spirit is speaking, and then do this. Get your eyes ready to look into your heart and to examine where you're at. But don't stay there. You know, too often we just look to ourselves and we look inward. We're to look at ourselves and examine where we're at, but then we're to turn those eyes back out and see people the way that God sees them, that we would love people in the way that God has loved us. And so with that said, let's look at what God's Word says here in James chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 1 to 13. It says, My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your living word. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today as your children, your beloved children. And God, that you would show us mercy. And God, that we would begin to and continue to see people the way that you see people. Thank you, God, for the way that you've loved us, primarily in the way that you gave your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins and to be raised from the dead. God, I pray that we would know that and we would look through the lens of that gospel as we seek to know you by your word today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So verse one says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Like I said earlier, this is sort of like a family meeting. James is saying, my brothers. He's talking to the brothers and the sisters that are in Jesus Christ who have been born again to a living hope through the gospel. We are the children of God. We're the family of God, right? And, and even though James was a biological half-brother of Jesus, as we learned when we started this book, he didn't use that fact as an upper hand against his spiritual brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. See, James understood that he was as much of a brother to Jesus as any Christian. He was no more of a brother, and he was no less of a brother, because in God's family, all of his children are equal. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, if this is true, you know, if it really is true, as many have said, that the ground is level at the cross, that the same red blood of Jesus bled for all sin, for all time, for whosoever believes in Jesus Christ, then that would mean that all are equal in the sight of God. It means that as we hold this faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, we are not to show partiality. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality. The word partiality means to be a respecter of persons or just to show personal favoritism. I love what one translator, J.B. Phillips, said. He put it like this, do not combine snobbery with faith. Do not combine snobbery with faith. So this section of scripture, it's, an, it's addressing an issue that was going on in the early church. And, and look, it, because it's God's living word, it addresses what perhaps may still be a very real issue in the church today, partiality. 
Now, let's define what this is. Partiality is making a judgment of a person, usually based on some initial outward appearance, whether good or bad, and then treating that person a certain way based on your wrong view of them rather than on God's right view of them. So you're making a judgment of a person. And again, it's usually based on outward appearance, not as God sees, as He sees into the heart. And then we treat a person a certain way based on how we've judged their outward view versus how God views them, which is He sees the heart. So, fasten your seatbelts because the Word of God is calling us to a halting stop. The structure of this command, show no partiality, it's saying, stop what you are doing right now. James knew that partiality was happening in the church, and he said it needs to stop now. It's not fit for the family of God to show favoritism. So we've been called to hold this faith. We've been born again by believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He's the glorious Lord. In view of Him and His glory, we should be able to view ourselves rightly, which is that we have become one with God. Jesus, the Son of God, has taught us the heart of the Father, and He has indwelt us with the Holy Spirit, and this now makes us family. We're supposed to be a different breed of people. We're Christians, right? Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul also speaks to the church in Ephesus about how the death of Jesus on the cross has brought forth the church, that, that the hostility that existed between different groups of people, and in that time in the early church, it was primarily between Jews and Gentiles, that by the death of Jesus, he has torn down the walls that separate us, creating out of two different groups of people, one whole new creation, a whole new category of people called Christians, and anyone can be one. Anyone can be a Christian. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have a pulse, you can become a Christian because you're made in the image of God. And God calls all people to himself because in God's grace, he forgives all sin, any sin that separates us from our God. And when we get reconciled to God, not only does he, he deal with sin, but he also destroys all the things that separate us out from one another. Jesus came to reconcile us to God first. We are now one with Christ, joined together by love, united by the Spirit. But, but, but God doesn't just want that vertical relationship. He wants a horizontal relationship that we would be reconciled to one another. And that we're to hold and to maintain this shared unity in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have access in one spirit to the only Father through whom we have all things. We are the household of God. So that, my friends, or should I say my family, (laughs) 
gives no room for partiality. With the glory of Jesus Christ in view, this is what we need to do. We need to view one another rightly. And so to view one another rightly, we need to see one another the way that God sees us. So how does God see us? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17 says this, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Romans 12, 11 says, for God shows no partiality, period. Like that's the whole verse. Paul also understood this fact. Um, I know the ladies have been studying Galatians uh, on Wednesdays. Galatians 2, 6 says, you know, there were these people that were coming um, that seemed to be influential, and I like what Paul says about them. He says, and, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. And so if God does not show favoritism, and he is the most glorious, holy, and pure, and true God, then that would mean that we can't. How is it okay? Why would we think that it's all right for us to show any kind of favoritism? You cannot combine snobbery with the faith of Jesus Christ. Let me just put it like this. You are not better than anyone else. I'm not better than anyone else. No one is better than anyone else in the sight of God. James is now going to give us an example of partiality. He's going to use the example of when partiality is shown on the basis of a personal or a person's perceived wealth. This is in verses 2 and 3. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. So James is giving here a hypothetical scenario. You've got church, which he calls the assembly. It's actually the word synagogue. In the early church, they were still gathering as Jewish Christians in the synagogue, which, by the way, the church is not the building. The church is the people. So whether you're gathering in a synagogue or what used to be an old movie theater, the church is the people of God assembling together and meeting together around the name of Jesus. So if while you're assembled for church... And, you know, people start coming into the gathering. James says, do not show partiality based on outward appearances. So here's the situation. If a man comes in and he's wearing gold ring and fine clothing, and, you know, actually the idea of gold ring is a lot of gold rings, like just their fingers are just lit up with rings. In that time, you could actually go and you could rent rings. Like if you wanted to go to a party and really kind of make a, you know, make a statement, you could, you could rent some rings. And then you could get these clothes, and the idea of fine clothes is that just um, clothes that shimmer and shine, just, just, you're just popping off, you're just looking really good on Sunday, you know, coming in to church. And, and you know, 
the church sees and they, they pay attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes. Oh, oh, come over here. I've got a seat for you. Why don't you sit here on this nice, you know, seat with a cushion, kind of good spot so you can see and everything. And, and, and so they do that. And then, and then the poor man comes in and, and, you know, the poor man's got some shabby clothing on. Kind of just seems a little unkept, maybe even just a little bit of smell, you know, just not really, you know, totally having it all together on their appearance. And you would say, oh, you, sir, why, why don't you just stand over there? Or, or even better yet, why don't you just sit on the floor? We're not supposed to do that. <laughs> why? Verse 4, because when you do that, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James is giving this example of distinctions being made on the basis of a person's perceived wealth. But we can make distinction among people on all kinds of differences, We become judges with evil thoughts when we make distinctions among ourselves based on age, ethnicity, gender, education, occupation. The list goes on. And my brothers and sisters, it ought not to be so. And if this is among us, it needs to stop. Thankfully, we've got a pretty wonderful welcome team here at this church that I don't think shows partiality. So when you came in today, you probably got welcomed by somebody who gave you a black sticker with your name on it. You know, and there's not like a a big sticker for the, you know, the people who, you know, are prominent in the little tiny sticker, you know, and we kind of, ooh, you get a red sticker, you get a blue sticker. It's like, you all got black stickers with your names on it. And there's just a bunch of different names. And by the way, the stickers are helpful for us because, again, being known by one another usually starts with knowing someone's name, and sometimes that's just getting over a hurdle, getting over a barrier for you to meet somebody. And then, you know, you check in, you get your cup of coffee, you maybe get yourself a little mochi donut, you know, maybe like the regular donut holes, and you come in, and you come in, you grab your seat, and you wait for worship to start. Right? I'm just kidding. If by chance, which it all happens and we do it, is we get into the sanctuary after worship starts, and usually what happens, especially if the service is full, is we wait, you know, maybe for the ushers. If you're looking for a seat, the ushers are going to find you somewhere where you can sit. And I notice the service isn't totally full, so the, so the front seat's empty here. It's not because we saved it for any prominent people. It's probably just because you didn't want me spitting on you this Sunday, you know, right down there, you know. And if you got sat in the front row, it's probably not because, you know, you're special. It's probably because that's all that was left when you came in, you know. And so here at this church, it's a first-come, first-served basis, whether it's from the coffee to where you sat. Now, there are sometimes situations, right, where, where we give special seats not because of partiality, but because of practicality. You know, sometimes... Um, 
Somebody with a walker, for instance, might, you know, take an aisle seat. So if you see somebody coming down with a walker, you might want to scoot into the middle so that they can, you know, get a seat on the end, something like that. Or, or, or we have a special room, for instance, with mothers who have, you know, infants. If they need a nurse or they're crying, you know, they can go to a place. Look, we've got a mom go. <laughs> that was perfect timing. And, and uh, you know, there's a place where you can go. You know, when we do baptism or we do child dedication service, we might save the front row here so that, you know, parents can get a little snapshot of their kiddo and it's, it's, it's good, good spots right up here. So, you know, there's a place for practicality in the church, but there's no place for partiality in the church. You know, there's a place for being polite. There's a place for showing honor in the church, you know. If there's a, you know, if, if this place was packed out and, you know, I, I would tell these boys, hey, sit on the floor right there so, you know, an older person could sit, sit in that seat, you know. And I know these fine young gentlemen and they would, they'd take a seat on the floor if, if we didn't have enough seats, you know. We do that because, because we're polite. We show honor. But, but again, we do not show partiality. We don't show favoritism. Now, in verses 5 through 7, James is now going to ask three questions. These three questions are meant to cause the spirit-filled believer to examine their hearts to see if they're showing any partiality. And if we are, James is going to convince us, and hopefully the Holy Spirit's going to convict us, that God needs to change our hearts. These questions here that are going to be asked are connected to that scenario of showing favoritism to a rich person over a poor person. And so we're still going on with that theme. Here are the three questions. But first he says, listen, my beloved children. And I love that way that James talks to us. And it's, it's the heart I want to capture, which is that he is both firm and loving all at the same time. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones are are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Man. So these questions need to be answered by us appropriately. The first one says, hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? See, God promises the kingdom of God to those who love him, whether rich or poor. And yet it is the poor in the world that often do love God. You know, travel the world, do, do missions work, and you will find that the people in this world that do not have great material wealth to their name are often the people who are rich in faith. See, it's a strange thing in James's mind that the, the church would dishonor the poor. How did Jesus come to us? It was the rich who were often the ones oppressing the poor in the early church. See, it was the rich and the powerful who, who persecuted the first century church. And, and you know, let's, let's not be naive to think that that is not still the case even today. The rich are often the ones dragging Christians into court and persecuting them. It's not often that you see poor people doing that. And then one more indictment upon the rich. 
Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? You know, Jesus stated that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and serve money at the same time because you will either love one and hate the other. And throughout church history, it has usually been the poor who turn to Jesus and the rich who have dishonored the poor or even blasphemed the name of God. So is James wrong or is James right? I'm going to say something that I said last time we talked about wealth from the book of James. The condition of your heart might be revealed by this, by whether these things that are being said really tick you off and rub you the wrong way. Again, our hearts do funny things with money, and when the Bible talks about our wealth, we ought not to get uncomfortable because it all belongs to God anyways, doesn't it? It's all His. Everything you have comes down from Him, from the Father of lights. Remember, money is a neutral object, and whether you have a lot of it or only a little of it, God is not looking at your bank account. God is looking at your heart. Now hear me on this, please. James gave a hypothetical situation where partiality was shown because of the appearance of wealth. The rich man was favored over the poor man, but do you realize that he could have just as easily reversed those roles, where favor is shown to the poor man over the rich man? You do know that this happens too, right? where people will despise someone because of their wealth, and they think, well, if they have a lot of money, then they must not love God. That is ridiculous. You know, there are many rich people in the Bible who love Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, who gave Jesus his grave. It was a nice grave. Only rich people had their own graves. No one had ever been laid in it before. Or Lydia, who funded the church of Philippi because she was a seller of purple. God uses rich people who love him in the kingdom. So James isn't even talking about the amount of money in your bank account. James is talking about the amount of love that is in our hearts. He wants to see our hearts, so we need to examine ourselves. Where is our hearts in all of this? This is loving but firm truth. And, and, and I'm guessing that if you're here, that you're, you really want to get this right, don't you? I don't think any of you guys want to show partiality, do you? Right. We want to see people the way that God sees people. So we need to examine ourselves and see if we're going about this the right way or the wrong way. And James is now going to tell us the right way, and he's going to tell us the wrong way to view people in the next two verses, verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So I don't know if it can be any clearer than that right there. You are doing well if you love your neighbor as yourself, and you are committing sin if you show partiality. James 5, 9 says it as clear as day, partiality is sin. 
If you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. This is a sin, just like any other sin that can be repented of and can be forgiven by Jesus because of the grace of God. But we have to ask for his forgiveness. We have to seek to love people the way that God has loved them and the way that God loves us. Now, if you're going to stop showing partiality, we also want to know how to view people rightly. What, what is the way we, we should go about this? How would we do well then? Again, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and you're doing well. See, loving your neighbor as yourself is the second commandment that Jesus gave when he was asked about what is the greatest commandment. We see this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Why did Jesus say, Love your neighbor as yourself. Because he knows that we don't have a hard time loving ourselves. See, we're never partial towards ourselves. Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. That's a... That comes straight from the Bible, a loose translation. Treat people the way you want to be treated. That is the solution to partiality. So in your heart and in your soul and in your mind, you need to decide to love people with God's love. And if you decide not to treat people the way that God would treat them, well, then that's a sin. Partiality is a sin that some have called a permissible sin. We like to just sort of wink an eye at it and say, you know, it's, it's really not too serious. So what if I'm a little bit partial? You know, I'm not a murderer. So what if I show a little bit of favoritism? I'm not an adulterer. Partiality is not that bad. You know, ease up, pastor. Sheesh. You know, we're only human, right? No. We're not merely human. We're indwelt by the glorious Lord. We are Christians. And partiality is a sin just like any other sin, and it should not be named among us. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So if God shows no partiality, that means that all sin is the same to him. All sin is offense to him. And the penalty of all sin is death. That means partiality will be punished just like the murderer. Partiality will be punished just like adultery, because sin must be punished. See, God's word says, do not commit adultery. 
Adultery is a sin, and while we're on the topic, if, in, if anyone's in a, an adulterous relationship right now, you need to repent, and you need to turn to God, and you need to be restored. And, and God's word says, do not murder. Murder is a sin. And, and, and if you've come here today and you've, you've murdered somebody, you should repent of that. <laughs> you should Turn to God. You might want to turn yourself into the authorities. You know? Murder is a sin. God's word says, do not show partiality. Partiality is a sin. So look, if you commit three of those sins, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, and you show partiality, the penalty is death. If you commit two of those sins the penalty is death. If you commit one of those sins, even if it's only partiality, the penalty is still death. See, don't think that you're keeping the law of Christ while practicing favoritism. It's as much of a contradiction for somebody to claim, I'm keeping the law because, you know, I've committed murder, but I haven't committed adultery. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. If you are partial, you might as well be a liar, a thief, a murderer, an adulterer as well. Because if you transgress one law, even just one sin, you're guilty of the whole law. Sin is sin. And all sin is an offense to a holy God, and it must be dealt with appropriately. If you want to see the evil thoughts of mankind, look at how we make distinctions towards people based on the sins that people have been cleansed from. See, when did we become judges of sin anyways? Isn't isn't that God's job? Thanks be to God that he did judge sin. That God judged our sin at the cross when the Lord of glory was crucified. When Jesus bore our sins upon the cross. That's why we can say the ground is level at the cross. And that because Jesus was lifted up, he can draw all people to himself. The murderer, the adulterer, and the partial. All the same. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. On the day of judgment, when we stand before God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about this recently. It's more like an award ceremony. But when you stand before Jesus, you will not be judged for your sins. Why? Because your sins were judged at the cross and forgiven and wiped away. Because Jesus pays the wages of sin, which is death, and that he died, we have now been given the free gift of eternal life. But what happens when someone stands before God and they did not trust Jesus for this salvation? They didn't believe this good news they refuse to believe this message, well, then they will be judged by their works. One man will come and stand before God, and God will have the record of his sin. And, you know, roll the tape. You you murdered. 
You committed adultery. You persecuted my people. And on he goes. And then another man comes and stands before God, and God will have his record of sin. God's looking at this man and, you know, roll the tape and, all right, doing pretty good. Lived a pretty good life. Oh, but this person was partial. See how they showed partiality there? That's it. Now, what are the fates of these two men? Both will be cast into hell. They will both depart from God because they never knew God and God never knew them. They never believed the gospel. They never trusted their lives to the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, God doesn't grade on a curve. If you're thinking that you're going to be accepted into heaven because you've got a pretty good record with mostly ups and only a few downs, I've got to give you the news. You aren't going to make it into the kingdom of God that way. If you fail in one point of the law, you've broken the law, all of it. That is why adherence to the law cannot save you. Nobody has ever been saved by obeying the law perfectly because no one ever has. That's why we need Jesus to save us. The only way to enter the kingdom is to believe the gospel and to repent of your sins. Now, perhaps this is good news to your ears. I pray it is good news to me. Or perhaps you're thinking to yourself right now, that's not fair. Listen, you do not want God to be fair. You want God to be merciful. If God were fair, we would all be dead in our sins. See, God has saved us in his mercy. Mercy is when God holds back what we deserve. And we all deserve to die for our own sins, but instead God gave us the gift of eternal life where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid for it all. Amen? Amen. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to the one, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, so speak and so act. He's saying, don't just tell me, show me. Let's not just say we're doing this, let's see it in our actions. See, our words and our actions are what will show whether or not we have or have not been partial. Our words and our actions will be the evidence of our hearts and our attitude towards other. And so he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And I'm so thankful that I am being judged under the law of liberty because guess what? I have been partial. I am convicted. I preached this message to myself before I preached it to any of you, and I show partiality. But I confess. I repent. I ask Jesus, forgive me. And I say, God, purify my heart. Let me see as you see. Let me love people the way that you have loved me. Let me love the, the way that I love myself, and I'm pretty good at that. Let me love with the law of liberty. Let me show mercy. 
Are we living with hearts that are conscious, conscious of the mercy that we have received? For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Jesus said, with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I have here at the end of my notes, mercy, mercy, mercy. Daniel, show these people the mercy of God. Tell them about my great love. I pray you've heard it. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The invitation's open. If you want to believe in Jesus today, God shows no partiality. There's no sin too great that'll keep you away from his love, and there's no sin too small that'll keep you away from his love. He loves you. He died for you, and you can receive him today. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you that you have loved us with an unfailing love. You're perfect, Lord. And in the light of your glory, in the light of your grace, we realize, Lord, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God that you have reconciled us. You have paid the penalty of our sin, which is death, and you've given us the free gift of God through Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Thank you that your death and your resurrection has accomplished this for all who would believe, all who would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. And right now, if you're here this morning and you've heard this good news, you've heard this message, and today you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you stand before him on that day, you don't want to be judged by your own works. You want to be judged by the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who paid it all for you. And if that's you and here today, and you want to turn to Jesus, you want to receive his grace you, 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 faith has come into your heart today because you've heard these words. If that's you, would you raise your hand so we can know to pray for you and love you and get to know you? Is there anyone who wants to receive Jesus today as Lord and God and Savior and friend? All right, praise the Lord. Well, church, let's all stand together. Let's worship for this one final song and as you're standing, I want you to look around. Look around at the people here in this room. Look at all the different people here. Look at them. People you know, people you don't know. And God right now is looking into everyone's hearts. Look around, because here's the thing. Revelation says that around the throne of God, when we're in eternity that he will gather in people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue and they will worship at his feet. And, and so look around, get used to worshiping with all people, with all of our differences. And yet we've come here today, right? To worship our one Lord, our one God, our one savior, Jesus Christ. We all share the same faith. This is the household of faith, and we get to worship together as one. You want to do that, church? Yeah. Let's do it.